Hello and a massive welcome back to this week's Eurofocus podcast, your number one place for everything European football. We'll save all the uh, different intros this week because we don't have to welcome anyone back this week. It is just me and Ben again. The other two with their loads of different commitments, as I'm sure they both have. But as always, another interesting week across the continent. And we are going to start by talking about title races. We spoke about the Premier League last week. But as many of you have seen across the Bundesliga and Serie A and even La Liga, things are starting to heat up. So a massive welcome to myself and Ben, and thank you all for listening to this week's podcast. I know that a few of you did request this on Instagram, so we will start over in Germany. And I'll come to you in a second, Ben, because I know that he has his own thoughts regarding Bayern. Um, but Bayern Munich currently seven points behind top of the table by Leverkusen, who recorded a stunning victory, I must admit against the RB Leipzig the other day on Saturday night, wasn't it? Uh, coming back twice. So I'll come to you, Ben. I just want your overall thoughts on the heating up title race over in the Bundesliga. Uh, yeah, so we've got to remember that there is a game in hand. And the 10th of Feb, I believe, is when Bayern do play Leverkusen. Yeah, it's going to be a cracker, that game, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. You'd like to think whoever really ends up winning that probably have the momentum going into the dog days of the season Leverkusen's still unbeaten the only team in well the top five leagues um, in Europe we've got to remember though that this is you know a Leverkusen side that do emulate you know Tottenham in terms of not quite getting they have there. got the name of Neverkusen which has came about across history but <laughs> for me this is a different Leverkusen side a very very different and I don't think in all honesty that it, when all the, all of the times that Borussia Dortmund have challenged Bayern over the years, they have not faced a tougher test than this, mm-hmm. because Bayern they're they're crossing every hurdle that's put in front of them. I wrote about it on the site the other day. Everything that has been, they can win ugly, like last week against um, Augsburg. Sorry, I just lost my voice. And uh, they can win ugly. They can make comebacks like they did against um, Obi Leipzig at the weekend, and they've got this the scintillate informing them as well. And that draw back at the Alliance in September, I think that'll be a pivotal moment to be able to go away to Munich and come away with a point after sensational free kick from Alejandro Grimaldo has been one of my favourite players in Europe, if not the best fullback in Europe this season. You know, to come away from Munich with a point, that just shows that there is some serious metal about this side and they are continuing to pick up points no matter what. Yeah, 100%. I believe that this is probably well probably Bayern's toughest test in the last decade essentially but a big thing for me is just the dog days of the season you know from probably March until the end of the season in May the fact that they only have two players in that Leverkusen side that have won a league Frimpong with Celtic and Grimaldo with Benfica now I think when you get into the dog days of the season then playing Europa League as well then it is partial to drop points. You know what it's like when players get tired, they have a few games in a week. And I just feel that Bayern have just got more quality, more steel going into the dog days of the season. For me, though, they've, they've got a squad, though. I mean, you could you could look at the minute and you see Victor Boniface, who is out. They're getting their closing down on uh, Borja, Borja Iglesias sorry, from Real Betis. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got players returning from AFCON in the next month or so. They're still missing players now. And... As, as you saw last month when Patrick Schick returned from his long-term injury, he scored a hat-trick on his return. They've got depth, they've got brilliant options, and it's not just that first team to me. And I think they are the favourites to win the Cup. You know, there's there's no other side in there in the quarter-final stage that really sticks mm-hmm. out as somebody who can beat them. 
Um, and then they can give the Europa League a good go. It helps that Bayern, Bayern Munich are out of the cup. They yeah. can sort of place an eye on that. But they'll, early. they'll also want to win the Champions League. They're, that is for Bayern every year. It's not as if, you know, Bayern are out of European competition as well. Yeah. They're both still fighting for two competitions. Yeah, 100%. Like with Tuchel, yeah, they hate anyone. Really hates to admit it being you know a patriot that follows the home football. But the Champions League is the biggest you know title in mm. in, in club football. Um, so if you were to ask Tuchel, would he rather win the Champions League or the league that they've won for the last what ten eleven years now? I think it's two thousand twelve eleven twelve Dortmund last reclaimed it. But we've got to look at you know history as well. Last year. You know the same thing happened. Dortmund let it slip on the final day, and I know it's a I know it's a higher quality Leverkusen side, but like I said, I've said it a few times in this podcast. When you get to the dog days, when games get harder, you, you know you you're playing with a depleted squad, maybe an injury, you're resting someone, then you know teams are partial to, especially when you're going to have Bayern breathing down the neck. That that Dortmund side wasn't so much. They were the hunters at first. Though. They were sixth, I think, going into they the had a shocking break. start to the season. An awful start to the season. So I think it's a very different circumstance. Oh, 100%. 100%. I'm just saying, you look at last season, how down oh, yeah, to the it went. Bayern have been left with no wiggle room. There's literally no room for error now. <laughs> Obviously, there will be four points behind if they win their game in hand, which is tonight against Union Berlin. If they will be four points behind. But they're still left with the form that, Leverkus- that Leverkusen are in. Bayern can't slip up anymore because if they can I see out of those two sides Bayern are much more susceptible to a slip up they have been whilst they've been scintillating at times this season they have got that just mar- that error sort of I wouldn't say they're prone to errors but I think they're more likely to slip up and I know they're looking in the transfer market they want Kieran Trippier 15 million has been rejected hasn't it yeah I know that Tuchel wants a bigger squad there's Rumours going around today of Leon Goretzka, it'll be his final season in Munich and he fancies a move to the Premier League. But I just see with Bayern, I just think, as good as they are, and it would be great to see Harry Kane win the league. Um, we admitted that at the start of the season, didn't we? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm really, I'm leaning towards the Leverkusen corner just simply because of the, not just their form and goal scoring form, but the way they seemingly pick up points, that champions pick up points. Yeah. Do you know, like, as I say, that with the weekend against Leipzig, where you come from a goal down twice, it was set pieces that won that game, and they're brilliant in every aspect of it. Yeah, like you look at well, history just for one. When people do, you know, a, a title challenges, those games like against RB Leipzig, those are the games that people really slip up, and that's when that's when you lose points. But on the you know. On the buy-in side, if they do beat Union Berlin, that's half half seven tonight our time. Um, if they go that, then and then they beat Leverkusen, then it's one point in it, mm. and then maybe that's a slippery slope for Leverkusen. Yeah, and it's, it's about momentum, isn't it? Yeah, uh, going into you know the end of the season, it is pure momentum. But like we said, Bayern's goal is going through the Champions League this season. Obviously, you know they're going to throw the kitchen sink to get the Bundesliga. But Tuchel's mind will be, you know, sole, not solely, but, but the thing is though, focused on the Champions to, League. At this current rate, if Leverkusen were to win the league the way, in their current form, if things were supposed, Bayern would have to break their points record of ninety-one, mm. which they achieved in two thousand and twelve, to even come close to winning the title this year. 
is that based on Leverkusen winning the rest of their yeah, games? That's based Just on winning, not yeah. a drawing. Mm. Uh, how many games are have been played? Well, the, the, the Bayern have just they'll be at the halfway point tonight, I believe. Yeah, win- fact, no, Bayern have passed the halfway point now. Yeah, winning seven. They their game in hand. Sixteen, seventeen on the mm. trot. That it's, uh, unlikely I, I to happen. Yeah. it's unlikely to happen, of course, but it's a case of if things are to go the way that they are, Bayern are going to have to put in another performance like they did un- in that Yupankas team, which won the Champions League, which won the treble which at the time was an immovable object. And then the you only if you look at the Pep Guardiola seasons that Xabi Alonso was a part of, you know, that those are really the only Bayern teams that have carried this that sort of immovable object feel about them. Yeah. And nobody in the Bundesliga really knows Bayern better than Xabi Alonso because of his time there and under Pep Guardiola where they were as I keep mentioning an immovable object. And the way that I see Leverkusen at the moment is that they're becoming like that as well. Of course, they don't have the big star names like your Harry Kane's and your Leroy Sane's, Musiala's, but they've got a, a top, top, top-class squad. Arguably Germany's greatest young player at the moment in Florian Witz, alongside mm-hmm. Jamal Musiala. Mm-hmm. Europe's best fullback pair. One of the most informed forwards in Europe this season, Victor Boniface. Granit Xhaka has been immense for the last two seasons, both at Arsenal and now. They've got a fantastic team. There's so many different players out there in that Leverkusen squad that are at a top level right now. I, I completely agree, and it is a top-class squad. It, it is one of the best in Europe right now. They went through the Europa League stages, won six out of six, 18 points. But I'm just the reason why I'm siding with Bayern is that inexperience within the Leverkusen side of winning titles. Now, we saw it last year, the most recent memory I've got of Arsenal, within an experienced team, a world-class team, but an inexperienced team. When you get into the, into the final day of the season where you need results on results, and we know Bayern are going to be breathing down their back. Oh yeah, it, there's no worse club to be chasing you than Bayern Munich, I will give you that. Yeah, and that's why I'm just siding a little bit with, with Bayern. I think if we go into... If if Leverkusen do end up beating Bayern and then you know, retaking that seven point lead, my position might change. But at the moment, I'll just go with Bayern because of the experience. You know, Kane's going to fire on all cylinders. Musiala, you've got Sane, as you mentioned last week, in the form of his life again. Now it's just mm. you know, Kim Min Jae didn't play the game against Werder Brenham, who's been world class for but, now, yeah for, for, for Bayern Bayern. and obviously for Napoli. Now. When they're at full strength, and I think you know you're halfway through the season, it's it's going to be you know, hard with them breathing down your neck. Yeah, I do agree. As, as I mentioned in the article the other day, it is difficult to imagine a worse side to be chasing you than Bayern Munich in terms <laughs> yeah. of the the way that they they've won titles in the past, and they have chased down Borussia Dortmund sides. And I've mentioned before, Borussia Dortmund often do turn into quite a different side when they're being hunted. And um, I just think there's something different about this by Leverkusen side that they're picking up points in games that you're thinking that is a big three points. No, like away at Leipzig, that was a, a banana skin. That, that was, was a result that could have. How easily... many times have you saw that exact replication for anyone in the world? And you know, mm. they drew, they draw, drop two points, and then it's just like you said, yeah, it's a banana it's skin. A, Snowballs. Yeah, a massive three points over in Italy, leading on to another different title race at the moment. Another one that's. Two teams really going punch for punch with each other that I'm quite surprised about, to be honest, because I've said on record on here that I mm. thought Inter would be guaranteed to win the league. And yep. I still think they're the favourites. Um, you know, they are. Obviously, I think they're the best side in Italy at the moment. But Juventus are really, really putting up a fight. And in recent weeks, um, 
since the introduction of Yildiz, I think he's been fantastic, by the way. A uh, younger 18-year-old. I think he's 18. He might be 20. I've got my numbers mixed up with somebody. <laughs> younger than us, maybe. Mate. Yeah, younger than <laughs> us. That is the problem. But Juventus really going punch for punch. And I just want to know your thoughts on their encounter on the 4th of February. We've got quite a few big games coming up, haven't we? Um, Juventus into at San Siro in a few weeks' time. And I was looking at the, the differences because Juve had, whilst they'd picked up points at the start of the season, they were far from inspiring, really. And that was something that a lot of supporters were sort of talking about. But um, since uh, since late December, sorry, since um, the introduction of, as I mentioned, Yildiz, they've looked a completely different sort of different prospect in the final third. Chiesa has been very hit and miss this season, which is not surprising because of his long-term injury. And he still looks to be recovering from that. And he's now out again. But um, since then, I'm trying to find these goal-scoring stats that I was looking at yesterday. Yeah, since the 23rd of December, Juve have scored 19 in all competitions. And that's compared to the six games prior to that, before the 2-1 win, they just scored eight. And it looks like Vlaovic is in the form of his life again. He's looking very much like the player that Juventus signed signed from Fiorentina. Whilst he's scored goals, he's still not been at his best. But along with, obviously you mentioned Yildiz, there's so much talent, course in like young talent. It's the best generation of young players that I've seen in, from, it, in, from an Italian team in a long while. You look at Fabio Moretti, Cambiazzo, who can play either as a left wing back or a right wing back. Samuel Elling Jr., he's been a brilliant young English player. And then you look at the players out on loan, Rovella. You look at Matteo Sule on loan at Frosinone, who is an exceptional, exceptional talent, scored a brilliant goal at the weekend. And you mix this with the experience of Manuel Locatelli, who really is de- has developed into one of Europe's most underrated yeah. and best um, midfielders in this season. You look at Philip Kostic, even Chiesa, who's in, entering the prime years of his career now. There is a great group at Juventus. And whilst I don't know if they can go the whole way against Inter, because there is, like we mentioned with Bayer Leverkusen earlier, there's an air of inevitability about Inter. The way they're winning games... That Super Copper, you watched it the other day, didn't you, as yeah. well, with me. Um, you just never thought that they would lose to Napoli. As on one side, the sucker punch might come, and they've had all these chances, Napoli might go at the other end, but it's just something about Inter and Inzaghi, who is unbelievable in cup competitions. And like I mentioned with Leverkusen, for a side to just cross any hurdle and pass any test thrown at them, it's such a testament to them and really makes them look like potential champions, isn't it? Yeah, well, just got a little thing to ask you about we were talking about it yesterday about the rebuild of football clubs and I just want to put it to you the rebuild that Juventus have done over the last year or so it was since Pirlo left it was always going to be a bit of a longer process yeah. back to the top and I'm surprised they've done it this quickly to be honest oh, tell um, me about it yeah I thought they'd be in and around top four I thought they'd be closer this season um, but it's not the team that I expected as a, that would be flying as I said Chiesa has been hit and miss but before the season and during the first couple of rounds everyone was looking at this Vlaovic and Chiesa front two as the ones to watch in Serie A and whilst they've both been there or thereabouts it's only recently since the sort of young talents have been bled through into the the starting eleven that they're scoring goals for fun I mean last week Vlaovic's stunning hat-trick with a free kick and one from distance as well which is a stunning goal but they're hanging on to their young talents as well yeah as I said, like Fabio Moretti, even um, yeah, even Fagioli, who's uh, been suspended. There's so much young talent. And it's not down to luck because this is the first time for any Italian side in a long time that there's been this 
real core group of young talent that are not just good enough to maybe be one for the future. They're good enough for now. Yeah. And um, as I mentioned, mentioned it in an article about the Italian national team a few months ago that the youth development in Italy has been poor for a long while because there's been no incentive for clubs to do it. Yeah. There's been no incentive. But Juventus was shoestrung into a situation where their financial situation had played their hand almost that they had to make use of this talent and they have done and it's proving to be a brilliant outcome for Allegri who has taken some stick and to be honest I didn't see him lasting much longer after the last campaign no, he throwing stones at him yeah, yeah everyone everyone wanted him out everyone popular. was saying you know he's on borrowed time he's going to be out soon and comes back this season they're unbeaten well well there's currently a point between them but with Inter do have a game in hand the top three have all gone and beaten in like the last six. Yeah, Milan. Milan are a strange one in, in third place. I can't see them matching the other two. They're sort of in a little world of their own. Bit of a limbo. Mm. Well, they're sort of really good side, but I don't think they're on the level of Milan So, if you were to say now, who do you think wins the Scudetto this year? Um, I'm just going to say into purely to trust my own instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think since Inzaghi's come in, he got given time after losing out the first year, after losing out in the Scudetto to them, obviously arch rivals. But um, last year, the Champions League run earned him a lot and a lot of leverage. Yeah. And now this season, he's rebuilt some of the side, obviously losing key players. And even Lukaku going as well. They're losing players, but they've replaced them perfectly. Marcus Turam has been exceptional. David Fratesi has been one of my favourite signings of the season. Sada Martinez has been. Lautaro has really not just stepped up in terms of his level he's really took on a sort of talismanic role which I never saw in him I must admit if you you no, told me no, he neither. would be captain's material I never thought that but he really has took on this talismanic role and his 19 league goals right now tell the story scored the winner on what was it Tuesday Monday Monday yeah yeah, yeah. he was well he's becoming the player that everyone spoke about that he was and then I, I, I never saw it personally. And then this season, he's just he's gone up a level. He's in that top bracket as of this season, isn't he? For, for me, the main battle that I'm intrigued with is the battle for a top four. Because from Fiorentina in fourth, who are on 34 points, to Torino in tenth, there's six points between, as I say, fourth and tenth. And any one of those sides, I think, could sneak in. Lazio and Roma will always be the favourites, and Napoli, of course, because yeah. of their sort of status but none of them are seemingly building up form apart from Fiorentina have been ticking along nicely Atalanta have been the last few weeks looking a lot better after a bit of a patchy start Charles de Catalara looked fantastic yeah. Bologna I don't see them I can see them sticking out the race for Europe but I think top four might just be out of their reach Napoli what can be said about them at the moment they're in dire dire situation I've heard that they're apparently talking to Mourinho, but I couldn't see that because of his, his Roma connection. Um, speaking of Roma, they are in a strange situation. <laughs> <laughs> I know that the incentive for De Rossi is that he'll get a big bonus if they get top four. The prodigal son returns. Mm. But then it puts it puts the club... It, it's, I, I never trust these sorts of situations where you bring in an ex-player as an in, uh, on an interim basis, like Solskjaer yeah. at Man United, because... If it goes well, you're basically shoehorning yourself into the fact that you've got to give him the job permanently then, aren't you? 
Yeah, one hundred. And then we know how that can go, as seen with Solskjaer in the past. The, it, it always happens, you know. There's a decent manager bounce. You do all right for six months, um, get into a good position, and then it comes in where you can't just run off momentum and you've actually got to be a manager and then the next season just drops down a little bit and then you're stuck with someone that you put on a three-year contract because out of loyalty and they've done a decent job. The thing is with Roma as well is that these players that ended up at the club are all players that were attracted because of Mourinho. Mm. Players like Paolo Dybala don't end up at Roma. Yeah. Especially with the situation they were in prior to Mourinho arriving. It was a shot that he went, wasn't it? Yeah. He had offers all around the world and he decided to go with Mourinho's Roma for one reason Lukaku as well who has been as good as he's been gone slightly under the radar this year but I think that's due to how poor Roma have been especially when Dybala has been missing and that's always been the case since his arrival yeah. really that they are a dire dire team to watch without Paolo Dybala yeah you um, you said the other day you put some in the group chat and you thought this might be the worst game of football I've ever watched oh yeah I'd had a few beers and I said that um, <laughs> when Roma when Paolo Dybala goes off that it's the worst team I've ever seen or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I think, didn't I say it somehow rivals Dortmund when they're being chased? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, One of those s- things, you had to be there for it to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> no, you'll be listening to this in the car. Thinking, what are they on about? Skipping 10 seconds yeah. on Spotify. Um, but go, just going back to Roma, can you see, if De Rossi doesn't do well, who's, realistically in line for that Roma job to to start a rebuild well it, it all depends because if you look the decisions across Italy, Italian management haven't gone well recently I mean never have to when, when, Na- when Spalletti left Napoli the obvious thing was to go for someone like Thiago Motta yeah. or Vincenzo Italiano from Fiorentina but is he is either of them really going to make the step now when Fiorentina are arguably on the same level as Roma higher in the table but I wouldn't put too much difference between the two sides would he make what would be a sideward step Motta from Bologna I could probably see happening more because Bologna don't have the same might um, I could probably see that happening but they've got to make the smart decision it's either stick with De Rossi or go to somebody who you can mould the club around it can't just be another journeyman manager who's going to be there for two years yeah that's this is that's a tale, isn't it? You know, you want, obviously every club wants longevity with a manager. You know, it's 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 beneficial for everyone. But Roma in the last what 10, 15 years and Italian clubs in general, it it's a revolving door of yeah, good since, managers with mediocre managers. Since Garcia left, Garcia did really well with Roma, which is somehow what convinced Napoli to go for him even though it was a long time since. Spalletti did a good job there. Fonseca did okay for a bit. Never was never going to last the course though and obviously Jose Mourinho and he's won, completely won the hearts of supporters unsurprisingly with winning the European competition and then reaching a final which we all know what happened in that final and Mourinho's antics regarding Anthony Taylor yeah it was I wouldn't say it's Mourinho third season syndrome I just think there's a mm. it, I just don't think it was ever going to work long term no really. I think they're a very, very, as I say, they're a very poor side to watch. Yeah. There's a, a lot of players in that side that can't compete when you look at, for example, the energy of the likes of Atalanta, when you look at the quality in Fiorentina's side, and then even their rivals, Lazio, who Mourinho's never beat during his three years in charge. They've never beat Lazio, and that is something that is concerning. Yeah, and it, like you said, with 
it they've won you know a trophy got to the final um of the Europa last year but in the end of the day when it all comes to it and you are you know lingering around in the Serie A then the owners the only person that you can replace Jose Mourinho is with a club legend but with the way Mourinho's been and, and you've said it for a long time that they are a shocking looking team yeah they can get the odd result Jose's teams always do but if you're owners and you're watching Roma linger around in this area you obviously want to change it up and get someone who can make because the big thing in football is consistency because not the one on off trophy and then finishing ninth let, let's be real the reason that Roma brought in Jose Mourinho was to get back in the Champions League, yeah. and it didn't happen. It weren't to win. Uh, it weren't to win. You know, um, you know. It's, a, it's amazing a, to do a, that. A B plus European title. It was to get in the Champions League. Amazing to do that for the club, and you can see what it meant to him. But to be harsh about it from from a purely ownership point of view, he was brought in to get them into the Champions League, and they haven't looked like doing that since his arrival. They're, they're flirted <laughs> with off. it. But that was it. The winning the Europa League last year was their pass to get in, and as I say, controversially lost. Whatever people's thoughts are on that, but they still didn't do the job, and that was the job that Mourinho was set at the end of the day. And as much as I love him from a personal standpoint, and I understand why Roma fans do absolutely adore the man for what he's done, and he really brought a feeling around Roma that hasn't been there for a while, but. You, from a purely footballing perspective and results-based business, I can see exactly why it ended the way it did. Yeah, one hundred. If if that's not Jose Mourinho, who comes in, yeah, wins the European trophy, but he's then below mediocre when he's obviously been set Champions League football. You, you kick him out the door. Yes, he deserves extra time because of who he is, but like you just said, he has failed at the objective in going there. Yeah, exactly, and I mean. The Lazio record is concerning because Lazio themselves haven't been... <laughs> they've, they've turned it round recently, I mean, but from finishing second last year to looking nothing like the side. I know Chiro Mobile is getting on and people look at that losing... About Milink 50, isn't it? Yeah, losing Milinkovic-Savic, but Lazio have been a very, very strange side this season. One week you can watch them and think, this is a team, this is, this is a really good team that could be the one to possibly bridge the gap between the top three. Yeah. But you watch them the week after. And I think that's a common consensus with a lot of the teams in and around this. Torino in 10th are very hit and miss. I watched them when they demolished Napoli the other week and they were fantastic. They rely a lot on the midfield. And I know Samuel Ricci was missing for a few weeks towards the back end of 2023. But they're, they're a strange side under Ivan Juric because I really like him. And in, in and around that area, the only side that I'm looking at who are building up a consistent run of form is Atalanta but then is their Coppa Italia exploits going to hurt them in being in the semi-final there's Serie A is the most intriguing league <laughs> in Europe for me sorry Siri's just answered on my phone after saying that <laughs> um, I think across Europe there aren't many in terms of pure competition wise many yep. better leagues than Serie A I think from top to bottom when you look at the relegation battles as well you look at Cagliari and Hayes uh, Verona down the bottom Salernitana, I can still see them picking up some more points. Udinese are even down there as well. Sassuolo, who... Sassuolo are one of those sides that you watch them one week and they can go and... Like last season when they beat Milan 5-1. Yeah, they are up there um, for a while, weren't they? Mm, under Deserbi, they were fantastic. One of my favourite sides on a tangent. like, But 
not to digress. But no, uh, if I was to give you... I can't believe we've just had a whole 10-minute conversation when you asked for a one-word answer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, one um, foot follows the other, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Inter to win City are... Inter, Juventus, Milan... Atalanta top four. I can just see... I think the way that things are going, they're looking the most consistent. Charles de Catalaro and Scamacca. That's your top four. Yeah. Locked in. Locked in. We'll come back in May. <laughs> and we will debate that. <laughs> and, and now, over to Spain. Because I think the other title races are pretty much, if we look in the Netherlands, PSV are like a million points clear. Um, so a PSG in France. Surprisingly. Yeah. La Liga. Can they do it, Ben, is the question. Can they indeed? Um, for a first time in a while, a Catalan side, um, other than Barcelona, are, are, well, not just challenging, leading the race. It is a tricky one. It is a really tricky one to sum up in the fact that every fibre in my being says, Real. And then week in, week out, Girona just managed to pull those fibres out. Can they do it? Possibly. I mean, for me, it seems an awful lot like Union Berlin last year, where eventually yeah. things are just... just fall, up, fall off a little bit. Is it... Here's a question for you. With them being associated with the City, City group, group, is it the fairy tale that it's made out to be? In what sense? Is it... Because I, I can't see it as this amazing thing that should never have happened like Leicester for example no. well just to clarify there'll, there'll never be you know, another Leicester you know it, it was an anomaly now with Girona there's obviously a lot of contemplations with what will happen with Champions League football next season with uh, Girona and Man City obviously both being owned by the City group now it, it is a fairy tale yeah and you know, I believe if if you do beat the top three in Spain, it it's it, it's an event. But there's always going to be that cloud over that the fact that they are owned by the City Group and everything that's going on over there at I'll the moment. I tell you who I feel sorry for: Santiago Bueno. Santiago Bueno <laughs> signed for Wolves in the summer after being a starter for Girona last season. <laughs> signed for Wolves to sit on the bench whilst Girona are now top of the league. What do you think? Do you think it's the fairy tale that's been managed to be, or do you think there's that cloud? It's an amazing story. I don't. I don't think it's so much a cloud. I think it's more of a sense of people have to be realistic about it. No. You know, it's not like Cadiz have come up and <laughs> won the league. You know what no. I mean? It's not like Mallorca, Celta Vigo have put on this run. They've yeah. still got Tenerife coming up and winning La Liga. Girona have have done in the past and still do have some very very good football players are there for years exactly it's not I mean Douglas Lloris used to play for Girona didn't yeah. he it's hardly a case of they come from nothing but and I think that's where people can get clouded with it because a lot of people who don't watch other leagues might see it as this amazing 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 story which it is an amazing story but they're hardly somebody that is as I say they're not Cadiz I, I do agree but with La Liga you know especially the odds, are, the odds are against them some yeah yeah. when you're in La Liga you do have the two super giants and then a giant in Atletico 
behind them. When you see any other team, apart from those three really doing mm. anything, oh, yeah, it, it is crazy because we we go on it about a lot that the the gaps between football clubs now is widening up and with La Liga it's been it's been like that ten times worse for ten times longer. It's always been you've got well um, Real, Barca, Sevilla, um, Atletico, and then maybe a little bit lower, Villarreal. And now you've got a side that aren't just challenging for it, but are top of the table. Yes, Real have a game in hand. But yes, they've been decent, and it's not coming right from the bottom. But in that league, even if you come from behind two of them, it's a monumental It's the, finan- the financial disparity is huge in La Liga, isn't it? I yeah. think that's always an issue you have to bring up. And that... That, for me, is why it's an amazing story. Mm-hmm. And I think I've seen quite a few people, especially talking to a few people about it, get mixed up in that sense. Yep. That no, Girona are not... They've not exactly clawed the way up like Leicester did in terms of going from one can, uh, campaign to the other. It's more of a sense of going against the grain of La Liga in terms of the financial disparity. Sorry, Ben's doing something in the background. So I tried, tried to cross my legs and uh, booted the <laughs> mic. Um Everyone at home's now got an image in their head of Ben trying to cross his legs. Yeah, a little bit of basic instinct. <laughs> uh, no, um, where was I? I've lost my train of thought now. I thought that... Um, yeah, so... Yeah, Ben, you go. <laughs> yeah, well, th- there is a disparity, but I don't think that if you compare every... If, if you compare every team's ever win the league to Leicester, who was a complete anomaly, it's never happened before, and the likelihood of it happening in the next 100 years is very, very slim. In modern now, football, yes. Yeah, not, not, not every title needs to be from the bottom to the top. If, yeah, if a team wins it against teams that win it all the time, then that's a monumental achievement. That, that's what I'm saying. That's where the fairy tale is for me in terms of they've gone against that grain, conquered this sort of... Whilst Girona aren't exactly poor because they're associated yeah. with the City group... You know, it's the idea of, is it 98% of the La Liga revenue goes to Real Madrid and Barcelona? Now, that in itself says enough. Yeah. Going against that, going against these two super clubs, like your Manchester United's and your Liverpool's. They get the pie and the the other 18 get the crumbs. Luckily, in the Premier League, that's not the case. But in terms of when you look at your super clubs, as I say, your Manchester United's, your Liverpool's, Barcelona, Real Madrid, they ascend above sort of just a football club don't they they are brand, your no. giants and your brands and they are just in well unlike Barcelona's case well-oiled machines apart from Barcelona yeah it's a sad reality with modern football the disparity between you know it, even the same league lower ranked teams if you kind of buried two football clubs if you you know if you buried Cadiz and you buried Real Madrid one would never come back and one would come back as the same because mm. Real Madrid is unmistakable now, and they're they're so rich in compare in comparison to any other team in the um, in La Liga that no, there's never going to be a team from the bottom that does something at the top because the, the disparity between the top two, maybe top three, it's is huge. so much different. It's, yeah, one hundred percent. And as you asked me earlier, one word answer that probably go into another tangent. Who wins La Liga? Real Madrid. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree there. Definitely. Yeah. Back over to England. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw the Carabao Cup semi-final second leg last night. And I think, I'm just going to go straight off the mark here, that 
that could be a pivotal result for Maurizio Pochettino. Yeah, well, he's been staring at the, down the barrel of a gun for, for, for too long, for months and months. When they lost the the first leg of the semi um, semi final, yeah, everyone thought that it was it was pretty much done. Getting a result like that in the way that it was, it was six nil until the eighty eighth minute, I believe. It it was beyond one sided, obviously. Now, just just a trophy kind of calms the nerves a little bit, doesn't it? You know, he's had a rough, rough start to the season. They've won the last four, I believe, in the league. Looks like they're on a little bit of a bounce, but but yeah, you know, getting to a final of a competition in your first year after a tough start helps a lot. And it would be Pochettino's first trophy in England. Yeah, but I mean, he never won. What did he win at PSG? It's one of those um, cup. Yeah, the the. The Coupe, French Coupe de la Coupe, Ligue, Coupe de Ligue, yeah. Um, obviously, Lille won the league in that season, didn't they? Yes, he did. No, he did win the league in his first he? full season, didn't he? Um, um, Julie departed. Well, not too long ago for Christophe Galtier. But anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea. Yeah, they've been a weird side this season tactically. I think watching them, they've been so rigid, and I can see what Pochettino is trying to do yep. in terms of last night in terms of build up they were sort of really trying to make it a front four or a front top or a front five at times yeah. and that was the first time that I think Enzo Fernandez had been used right last night because too high he's one of the best first and second phase midfielders in the world particularly second and it's a huge waste to have him at times almost playing on the last man alongside Armando Breuer or whoever the centre forward is in an ideal world you know, that is a role that Christopher and Kunku will be playing. But Enzo last night, he was able to rotate between that sort of deeper role. Yes, it was against Middlesbrough, who I thought were very, very naive last night. Yeah. Because they were playing with a low block, but they were still trying to play out from the back, which gifted Chelsea at least three of the goals. Yeah, when, you, when you're playing five up top and you know a team that's sitting 10th in the Championship trying to play out from the back, mm. it's easy pickings. And that's where I liked... Enzo last night because it, it it's a huge waste to have him just sitting there on the last line because he was practically playing on that last man but last night he alternated and he was allowed to play that sort of all action role that he did at Benfica and I spoke a few weeks on that little on the little videos that I do on TikTok about uh, João Neves at Benfica that all action role is what Enzo Fernandez is perfect at he's a volume passer in every sense he's a he's good defensively he can play as a six he can play as an eight and when he's allowed to roam forward, like last night, where he completely ghosted into the box. And you could see Enzo last night getting visibly frustrated with Mikhailo Mudrik, who obviously we know that he likes to cut inside. Yeah, 100%. Because he's much more effective in that sort of left-hand half space. But when Enzo was p- picking up that space, you need your winger to operate wide. And eventually, I thought Chelsea did find that balance. The own goal, uh, poor, obviously not the best for Johnny Housen. Um poor goal to concede but I think all of them were really they really got caught out and Chelsea's flying fullbacks were a big part of that I like Dizazi in that sort of right hand side role last night to be honest I think that's the best I've seen him playing a Chelsea shirt and Ben Chilwell coming back that is a huge huge played plus. very well last night very very well it's a strange one though isn't it because you just always feel that there's another injury around the corner yeah well same with you know, both, both fullbacks with both, yeah. um, over there at Stamford Bridge you got Reese James who doesn't seem to play more than four games and gets injured you got Chilwell very injury prone too but when they're both cutting down the flanks 
it, it's a joy to watch, especially you know for an England fan going into the Euros. Good time to recover, putting you know a few months of good performances. But the one thing that I do want to ask is: is this Poch and Chelsea clicking, or is it just a good run of form where you can see maybe in a few weeks? that they just start to lose games again and drop down to that mediocrity that they've been in. It's such a difficult one because I think watching Ben Chilwell speak last night before the match, the players are seemingly into his into his ideas. They're seemingly playing for him. I think they've really struggled with injuries. They have been unfortunate in that regard. But, and I think yeah. there's been too many square pegs in round holes. But that doesn't excuse some of the performances that they have put in. And they haven't been clinical all season. Well, last night, I don't know where that came from. Furthest thing from. I really don't know where that came from in terms of how clinical yeah, they after, were last After night. the first leg, you were like, I never really thought Middlesbrough could hold on. Yeah, just but that, I didn't think just it that would... Stamford Bridge. I thought it was going to be a case of they hold on till about the 60th and then they score two or three from there. Yeah, yeah. But for that to happen and the way misses. they blew them away in the first half, that really surprised me. And I think, I think Chelsea, I don't, then obviously not as good as the top sides who are currently fighting for the title, even with their full squad. But you look at the players coming back, and Kunku is guaranteed goals, is guaranteed energy. The flying fullbacks, as mentioned, they've still got players like Romeo Lavia, who have still is we still haven't seen in the Chelsea shirt really. There's still players to come back throughout the squad, and I think that they could be on for a possible European push towards the end no, of the season. Well, they should be anyway. You look all at being well. The one point behind United. And United will get Europe somehow. They they could lose every game of the yeah, season, and they and they'd, and they'd <laughs> yeah. get it. Somehow they always end up getting it. But mm. yeah, like one point behind United, and then you've got Brighton who aren't aren't looking as good as they were last year. Um, still still up there. I mean, this leads perfectly into our next little segment about our club because we haven't spoke about them for a few months on the podcast, have we? Wolverhampton Wanderers, Gasball, Gary O'Neill. Gasball, I mean, first mate. of all, the reason I mention this is because it is the Black Country Derby this weekend for anybody who doesn't know about that. West Bromwich Albion, Wolverhampton Wanderers. <laughs> first of all, have you been living under a rock? Yep. Second of all, I will be there in the away end. The self-proclaimed for- worst Wolves fan on the planet will not be that. Yeah, that is Ben, not me. I'm just for anybody that might have misheard that. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll be quite honest. I'll get it out here that um, I do support Wolves, but uh, yeah, not the greatest, not the greatest <laughs> fan. He's more of a Wolves watcher rather than supporter. To yeah, say that. you know, used to have a season ticket until like, 2016, and then I've been to I think three games since. So yeah, I, I am ashamed, but yeah, you know, I'm buzzing for Sunday. Oh yeah, my first ever game was the five-one that we lost to them, the Derby Day demolition. Yeah, uh, so to me, this is massive to go yeah. to their place as well. It's weird to speak from it from a fan's point of view on the podcast because I don't want to bring any form of bias to anybody no, listening. I'm... But um, I am really looking forward to it. Whether I should be, because we haven't won there in so long. 96, <laughs> wasn't it? I think the pressure's on, on Wolves, to be honest. The pressure is obviously on Wolves in terms of we are a Premier League club. Yeah, of course. West when... Bromwich Albion, they are good at home, very good at home. The, the, the atmosphere will be electric. The potential... We spoke a little bit about it earlier, but this has got banana skin written all over it. Okay. Um, no, the the fact that it's been what twenty seven years, twenty eight years this year since we've gone to Hawthorns and got a result. <laughs> now, if if you're a Baggies fan, 
there's no possible outcome. Obviously, if if you lose, you don't want it to happen. But it's a Premier League team going against Championship team. All the pressure is on Wolves. Yeah. All the pressure is on Wolves. You go to your lo- local rivals. You've not won there in nearly thirty years. The pressure's mounting up so. And much. with how much O'Neill and the squad have spoken about how much it means and how much they yeah. know that it means to the supporters. And to, to be fair to the bag, he's sitting fifth in Championship at the moment. They um, did lose at the weekend, though, didn't they, to Norwich? Yeah, Norwich 2-0. But, you know, fifth in the Championship. Um, we're fighting for playoffs last season. You know, they're, they're not a bad team anyway. And when you're taking derbies on a, on a one-off day in a cup, you, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But Gary O'Neill in general, considering at the start of the season when we had a little bust up on the podcast because I said that we won't be anywhere near the relegation battle with you and Lopetegui in charge mm-hmm. now here we are end of January and uh, we're not anywhere near relegation but with Gary O'Neill in charge well, <laughs> and um, I just want to say what a fantastic job he's done unreal. As a, we were everybody's favourites for relegation Oh, with everybody's favourites with the situation we were, that had happened we were rock bottom on some people's predictions and yeah. now what we're 11th 29 points and that's that's not to say that I can't blame people for saying that because I fully understand the reasons of losing our manager but you are four wrong. days before the season you, you are dead wrong three points away from a possible European battle that's not the expectation from no. looking at it from a supporter's perspective but we also know that how momentum in this league can work that yeah. you build up a run of form and you build up that momentum that you could just sneak in. Which we, we do have at the moment. I mean, with six unbeaten. Yeah, we, we have that at the moment. Um, but that's that's the problem when you go to the Hawthorns. It could, it could it, just it ruin could everything. It could ru- if, if we go there and play in the devil's advocate, we lose 2-1. That, that just demoralises mm. everyone. And then what we lose six on the trot because we've not recovered. We could be looking at Sunday's game in retrospect at the end of the season when we finish 17th and go, that was the day. <laughs> that, that. But then also the other aspect, if we go there and, and you know beat, beat Baggies and that curse that you know has been going around for three decades now, then that just sets us up again. We could beat anyone. It would really rally the troops, wouldn't it, in terms of the supporters a win on Sunday? Oh, but- 100%. What I love about this team, and I think a lot of supporters do, is that they just re- they look really together. Yeah. And to me, it's like a group, they isn't look it? Not just, just as together, if not more, than the side that finished seventh under Nuno. In terms of when you go into games, last season under Lopetegui and the season before under Large, you went into games against any side. It might have been you know your Manchester Cities or whatever, and you just always thought that we're in for a thumping here. But we're going into every game knowing that. We could get something. Yeah. And even drop when we've dropped down a goal, such as against Tottenham, such as against Newcastle, there's always that thought that possibly we could get something out of this. And we have done like the last minute winner against Tottenham, well, the last minute equaliser, then winner against Tottenham, against Newcastle coming from a goal down twice. You know, it's there's a brilliant team spirit. And he's got them, he wanted to come and play expansive football at the start. Yeah. And I understand why. But he soon realised after the 4-1 against Brighton that he, we probably haven't got the players defensively to do that. Yeah. And his five at the back, it allows us to switch to 4-4-2 in, in different areas of the pitch. And when Ryan Nuri comes back from AFCON now they've been eliminated, <laughs> um, we are a very, very intriguing side to watch. And we're defensively sound, but also in the right moments play very expansive and exciting football 100% you hit the nail on the head just in the fact that we do believe now this is 
this is probably the first game in, in quite a long while that we've we've had app, you know apprehension going into a game just because it's the local rivalry. But if you look since really the City game, we go everywhere thinking we can get a result now, and that's not been the case in the last few years. We've you know we've picked points here, there, lost to teams we shouldn't have, beat teams we shouldn't have. But now it seems like much more of a level playing field in the fact that we believe we can go somewhere and get points. Oh, one hundred percent. And I think with this with O'Neill as well, I think he's a very, very smart manager. He's something that this team do is they pick their moments. Against Brighton, we knew obviously we had our start with Hwang out with, with uh, the Asian Cup. Yeah. Like Nuri out for AFCON. It's wasn't wasn't a, it was a far from ideal situation to go to Brighton. I know they have players missing. Yeah. But you know the football that they're going to play. You know how they're going to try and break you down. So we played the perfect counter-attacking system for that. And we were a threat on the counter. A fully fit Pedro Neto, I'm convinced, wins that game for us. No. And hopefully on, we'll see some improvement again on Sunday from him in that regard in terms of fully getting back to fitness. We just I feel like we can always, like we're in everything. And I love what he's done with the wingers. Because under Bruno Large and even under Nuno for Nuno's last year, our wingers look frightened to run at anybody. Yeah. And even last year when I used to watch Daniel Pedence and even Neto, it would be a case of just take somebody, take your man on. And that's what I love about this team is that they're not frightened to make these decisions of this fullback should be getting up. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that Neto does perfectly. Yeah, in the last couple of years, no one's tried to run him behind. No one's tried to skin anyone, essentially. Try and get in behind, try and whip a ball in. It was always, look up, oh, you don't really want to run into the space. We'll pass back, we'll, we'll give it Neves, Nunes in the midfield. They'll try and um, square it out. Then the other winger doesn't want to come in. But now it seems like it's a lot more aggressive, the fact that we're taking chances, we're running into the box, we're getting balls in. Mm-hmm. Matthias Cunha as well. I just adore that man. <laughs> With every bone in my body. And um, I know O'Neill does want another centre forward obviously Fabio Silva has, has been sent on loan to Rangers and mm-hmm. Sasha Kalajic to uh, Eintracht Frankfurt um, on, O'Neill was on record the other day saying that he believes something will be done in the next few days striker wise yeah um, it's about getting the right the right fit though isn't it because we know this team and this front three at the moment is more of a rotating front three it's not so much where it's built around one central striker it's about movement it's about energy yeah anyone could the way that you're trying to do it is that anyone could play in the position regardless mm. out, of the, out of the front three which, which obviously is great but like you said we do need someone just to because we've lost Kalajic and Silver yeah, at the just, end of the day just to get from now till August you know 10 do you know um, now till mm. May sorry just to get 10 and lead us on the direction to Europe hopefully you know and that, <laughs> and that, and that battle but yeah, like, it, it's an amazing season considering the start year. the financial fair play issues yeah. and all of the talk around the club and, and losing yeah, best well two best players really. losing Ruben Neves Jean mm. Martinho Nunes in the way we Adama lost him Mateus yeah. I know Ben was obviously caught on the podcast um, letting his thoughts know about that at the start of the season weren't you and remember, the rap when he got yeah, yeah, yeah. when he got um, a great reception at Molyneux when we beat Manchester City <laughs> But what, no, what a nice man. Speaking about transfers, we're going to can, end... Can you? Yeah. Score predictions for Sunday. I don't want a 2-1 with 10 minutes to go. I don't think I'll be able to handle it. I want a convincing convincing or a last-minute winner. 4-1 four, four, Wolves, Derby Day Demolition. You think? Yeah. We'll take that. So, <laughs> mm. <laughs> to yeah. end the show, we'll just give a little 
transfer roundup. And I know it's January, always a bit of a quieter window, isn't it? Yeah. Naturally, because clubs don't really want to sell their best players in January. Um, just some little stuff, really. Jaden Sancho, back to Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> Overall thoughts, just a quick couple of minutes on that. Looks, looks like a different player. I know you could say it's with the freedom. I'm, I'm not completely won over by it yet. Um, first couple of games, he's obviously <laughs> happy and content, but no, I'm not completely won over it yet. He's one of them, isn't he, Sancho? You can't deny his quality. Yeah, good player. But there are questions behind the scenes, naturally, because of what happened with Eric Ten Hag. And he's always going to flourish back at Dortmund because Didn't that do it is the Solskjaer either though but I don't think he really nobody did in that foot apart from Ronaldo in them early months mm. under Solskjaer did he in the, after Sancho signed sorry I, I'm just not completely one over by him to be fair mate I think he's I think he's a good player mm, but I don't think he's he's well classed he's at any level yeah I think he's, he's he's brilliant creative player I don't think he's got the full on he's not got a burst about him as he to play out wide for me in the Premier League because yeah, when the, the ball's at his feet, yeah, brilliant. But the, but the Premier League, no creation. the Premier League relies on explosiveness, doesn't it? In terms of out wide, quick, and he hasn't got that, I don't think. But that's why he thrives in Germany when he can take up these central zones in, in a more counter-attacking style of play, and really be the source of main creation. Really, for yeah, Dortmund. a lot more space coming on, well, cutting on the inside. And that's nothing against the Bundesliga. Or just it's the way that tactics are set out in different leagues, yeah, yeah. as we've seen on many occasions as players who've gone to Germany and failed. Yeah, you know Timo Werner second to RB Leipzig who I think he's a great signing for Tottenham for me I think he just fits Ange Postacoglu down to the ground yeah it, it you know it's a no risk sign as well loads mm. at the end of the season he's a very very good player um, we saw in the first spell um, well when he um, played for Leipzig originally and then even Chelsea he missed a lot but he he got a few key goals and scored quite a few assists. I think he got like twenty um, goals and assists in his mm. first season. He's just he's just a, he's a reliable, versatile forward, isn't he? He can play out on the wing. Yeah, he's got great movement, great energy about him, and he doesn't stop running. Yeah, and can I just um, just to let anyone know, Bundesliga tax does not exist. Bundesliga tax does not exist. It is a myth. Look on my Twitter at Cam J Smith to look at that. My pin tweet about that because yeah, it doesn't B- exist Bundesliga tax does not exist period just to get into that because I had a bit of a as I say a bit of a rant on Twitter about it was yeah. it last week or the week before every week mate it's gonna, because people look at it and say oh, oh what you time. do well oh. but look at Erling Haaland Kevin De Bruyne Ilko Gundogan Leroy Sane Kanate all of these players look at all the players that have done it especially you know for Bayern the Champions League who come over just tear it up in the Champions League and then Bundesliga tax there's so many people that have came over failed so many people that have gone over failed Aubameyang Son Firmino players who have also had a very good career since leaving Mkhitaryan Karnoglu even Julian Draxler to an extent and you look at players who have been world class for years Tony Kroos Meza Ozil Ivan Rakitic and then Bundesliga itself has some of the most exciting young players in the world. As I said, Florian Witz, Jamal Musiala, Xavi Simons. And then they've also developed talents like Gvardiol, Sabozloy, Jude yeah. Bellingham. It's, for me, it's the strange one. It, it, it's very, very strange. People just think that because, yes, there is you know, odd players, and I'm talking you know, um, players who get signed by probably bottom half of the... You know, mm. look, look at Veghorst. Veghorst, yeah, for example... Um, We've had a few, maybe Jovic, uh, just a couple 
a few players that have tore it up and then they kept, they come to different leagues and don't do very well. That's the same with every single league out there. And like you look at the best out and out striker in the world at the moment. Well, in the last year, yeah, who's Ernie Carland? He tore it up in the Bundesliga. He's came over and, he's done, and he's, he's done better in the Premier League. And that's what I mean when I, when you look at that list of names that I said about players who've elevated. Look yeah. at Sané became better after leaving Schalke. Yeah, Gundogan was that, that was season. World class, City, but, what 2016, 17 mm-hmm. would it have been? Gundogan was better at Manchester City than he was at Borussia Dortmund. Yeah. Yes, experience comes into that. But then, as I say, you've also got players like Son, Aubameyang, Roberto Firmino, who've all come to the Premier League and been world class. Yeah, one hundred percent. And Firmino is not that good at Hoffenheim. No, it, it was it was brought in in that weird period of Liverpool when Klopp had just mm-hmm. came in, didn't have any money, brought him over, and you look at you look at all the players that have gone to the Bundesliga in fact. Like you look at Sadio Mane. You know, Sadio Mane. Sadio Mane was, I think, finished second in the Ballon d'Or the year. The year, well, a few the year before he went to Bayern, yeah, yeah. and then went to Bayern and didn't do anything. It's, it's a lazy argument, and I get why people do it. People do it because they look at players like Kai Havertz, who've hardly had the best times in England. But Havertz is a strange footballer. He's, he's a very good footballer, but he doesn't have a role in the modern game, unfortunately. At the minute, he doesn't really fit any sort Another of player in limbo. And I don't even think he's sure of where he plays, and that's the problem. Mm, yeah, the, I, I believe if Poch goes to Havertz and goes. You know, like Kai. Um, why, why Poch? Where do you put... Well, um, sorry, no, if Arteta... <laughs> sorry, if Arteta um, went to Havertz and said, where's your strongest position? I think he's been in limbo for so long now, he'd go, I'm not really too sure, I'm not that confident. Back on the transfers, got just I've just got a couple down here to speak about. Most recently, um, yesterday, Arthur Vermeeren to Atletico Madrid. What's that, 25 mil? Yeah, I think it's about 27 million euros. Don't yeah. quote me on that figure. Bit of a bargain. I know Antwerp fans are, Antwerp fans aren't happy with the figure, to be honest. But Belgium fans aren't happy with well, the exploitation of the league, really. No, um, everyone's just being cherry picked and they're being oh, oh, used. It's understandable. For, you know, a Tony Bloom group. Um, every player in that league I mean, has been cherry picked. Vermeeren's got nothing to do with Tony Bloom, but no, but I mean, in, in terms of like, no, in the Belgian Pro League, yeah. in the fact that everyone's literally just been cherry picked yeah. and it's oh, been yeah. used as a progressive league, um, you know, and that's how it is. I mean, Vermeeren for me, I absolutely love him, and without sounding biased on this because I do watch him a lot, but he's he's brilliant. He's in terms of his technical ability, he's one of the most technically secure young midfielders out there. And he's so well equipped in terms of he can carry the ball in terms of driving with it. He's so progressive with his passing. And for me, captaining your side in the Champions League against Barcelona at 18 years old says enough. He was a yeah. huge part in the title winning campaign last year. He's got the most minutes across the world of any player under 20. He he plays this role that, which is deeper, but he's allowed to pick up the ball and really utilise every bit of ability he's got. He's brilliant with the ball at his feet. And out of this core group of young Belgian talent at the minute, you look at the midfielders coming through, like Romeo Lavia, like Amadou Onana. Vermeeren is not... To, for him to be streets ahead of them says enough about how good he is. And f- to be in t- Tedesco's plans ahead of the European Championships Relato really does say a lot well. about, about him. And it's an intriguing, intriguing period for the Belgian national team under Tedesco. He's bringing through a lot of the youth, a lot of the younger players. Charles de Quetelar is back within the his season at Atalanta will be huge ahead of the Euros after, after last season he's come on <laughs> you've got there. two of the most direct 
wingers in the world in Johan Bakayoko and Jeremy Doku. <sighs> Lukaku, who's the nation's all-time top goal scorer. In about 10 games. Mm. Lois Appenda has been fantastic at Lons and now Leipzig. There is a great young team there, and I think Vermeerini will be at the heart of it for years to come. And a move to Atleti, got fellow young players alongside him. Simeone's done a brilliant job with that team of rebuilding it and re- really restructuring it. And I think it's a great move all round. Yeah, I've got I've got one that I, I saw yesterday. Well, I've, I've got two actually. Um, the fact that Barcelona are up for paying, well, um, getting Cancelo and João Felix on permanent. I think João Felix is the strangest one because how much do you reckon they'd let him go for? I think Atleti want rid now because after he, his much? celebration against them, did the, you see that? He's burnt his bridges with the club that he's still on the books. Yeah, at. You, you can't do like, you can't do that, son. You, you can't give it the large. No, I've, against your parent club. I mean, he's Barcelona have hardly pulled up any trees, and he's been one of their better players, albeit not having the statistics to back it up. But Barcelona have been pretty yeah, been the best, average this season. Yeah, being the best player without know, Pedri, at Barca. Mm. Yeah. I said being the best looking one in this room. It's not that hard. <laughs> wow. That was like a dagger to the heart. I've got to keep that in just for the yeah. sake of it now, haven't yeah. I? I might put that in the intro. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but so like you were saying, it's no, they they do want them on permanence, which seems like a bit of a silly move considering the situation they're in. How much do you think Atletico can get for Show Felix? They want upwards of fifty million. What did they pay? One hundred and thirteen million pounds, I think. <laughs> Which at the time he was worth it. Well, not maybe not worth it, but that's it's what the next big thing, wasn't he? Yeah, I'm surprised he. That was the wrong move in general. It really stalled his development, and I still it's... L- love him as a footballer. But much like Havertz, in a sense where there's no position for him. Whereas if he went to Manchester City at that time, he probably would have had a very different career. It's funny though, because at the time it seemed like a smart move because everyone was saying, well, he's not quite gone to Real or Barca yeah, yeah, who yeah, wanted he's him. Picked. He's gone He's gone for a, a mid-super um, a, a super club, but one of the little ones. Mm. And now you look back and you go, should have gone Real Madrid, mate. Any Atleti fans listening to this, we, Ben didn't just call you a little club, he was just saying that... A little super yeah. club, in comparison to your... I was going to um, say, I don't want neighbors. to have our heads on a stick by the Atleti faithful. Los Colchoneros, is it Los Colchoneros? The Mattress Men. Yeah. Yes. That's it. So, the Mattress Men, you're, well, you're my um, third favourite club in La Liga, so keep going. <laughs> Brilliant. So, on that little tangent, we will end the podcast there for this week. Once again just me and Ben I do apologise for that the lads should be back soon <laughs> we don't know where they are they don't reply in the group chat well they do we're just a bit exaggerating but thank you very much for this week for listening yet again thank you um, we will be back next week hopefully after a Wolverhampton Wanderers win on Sunday afternoon please stay tuned for that so as always Eurofocus your number one place for everything European football to our bit I will see you all next week